busy world that we live in, and uh, to take time to be still and to know that He is God. Uh, When we pray, we ask for His intervention in things in our lives, and then to look for His intervention and not to uh, be blinded by how God works in our lives and what He's trying to accomplish in our lives. Understand our God makes no mistakes, and He allows things to come in your path. That's a part of the journey, and we praise the Lord for that. 
And as we uh, sang this morning uh, several songs, What If It Were Today? And then 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, which we uh, have the, uh, the theology of the rapture of the church. And then, uh, He the pearly gates will open. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that time when we get to go to be with the Lord. And what if it were today? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Hopefully you know Him as your Savior and that you will be caught up with Him together uh, with the saints in the air. If you do not know the Lord as your Savior, you'll be left behind. And uh, if you want to find out what's left behind, you can read the book of Revelation and discover that it's not really a good place to be left behind. I've left behind my children at various times of my parenting. I'd forget about them. I'd go out on visitation and leave them at the home that I visited. Uh, We've been to a restaurant and left them there at the restaurant and go home and get a call at the home and saying, do you, are you missing something? And we said, no. Well, we have a little boy here by the name of Daniel. (laughs) Oh, well, look, one, two, five are here and one is missing. Well, I guess we are missing one. Let me just say this. When God counts out there, He won't leave any behind. Praise God for that. And that's His love for us. And we're so grateful for His hands of grace and mercy. And so as we uh, continue on in our study here in the Sermon on the Mount, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. I'd like to just rehash a couple things. Last week, and in the order of the Sermon on the Mount, we have talked about anger and how that anger is like committing murder. We need to see things the way God sees them. Then we talked the last couple of weeks on about lusting and committing adultery in our hearts. This morning, it's interesting as we get into the topic of divorce and remarriage. Oops, I'm not on. I'm sorry. Let's see if, you know, it's not turning on. Failures here. You can hear me now because they turned it up there, but we'll get some batteries up here real quick, or else I'll be confined behind this pulpit. We could just, can you just put your mind on pause? Pause one, two, why don't you start counting sheep? Let's give him a hand. I think we ought to take up another offering just for him, don't you? I mean, that was pretty good. Wow. Brother Josh, he has four kids, and so he knows how to deal with emergencies as they come up. It is interesting. Today is Valentine's. And this morning, I'm going to talk about divorce and remarriage. They say, Pastor, you got that all backwards. 
Well, I'm not only going to speak about it this morning, but I'm going, to, I'm going to give you the continuation tonight. You're going to have to come back tonight. There's no way that I can cover this amount of material in just this morning. Now, in talking about that, you know, we've, we've talked about problems in marriages. And I want to thank the Lord. We had a wonderful Valentine's uh, love of, of, of others uh, banquet for the home builders and the younger heart on uh, Friday night. And we talked about those things that help in our marriage. And truly, we want to begin with the end in sight and what is marriage all about. But marriage and things today, as we go through this journey waiting for the Lord's return, there are the bumps of life. You all know what I'm talking about. Uh, just like there's no perfect church, there's no perfect marriage. There are things that you'll have to deal with at the turns that come in your life and the situations that you have to deal with. And it is my prayer that the Lord will help us in our marriage. Now, you might think that you have problems. But I'd like to read you a little story of a man as he was talking to his friend about his problems. And they got together. And since the last time I saw you, the man said, I got married. This friend said, that's good. His friend said, no, that's bad. She treats me mean as a snake. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. She's rich. Well, that's good. No, that's bad. She doesn't give me a penny. Oh, that's bad. No, uh, she, uh, she built a big, beautiful mansion for us. Well, that's good. No, it burned down last night. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. She was in it. So if your marriage is better than that, praise God. Amen. Sometimes we think we've got it bad until you read Dear Abby or Alma Bombacher or whatever her name was or whoever else you might go to psychologists and all. Praise God, we can go to the scriptures. And I am thankful for that. And last week, as we talked about uh, the problem, it's interesting that as he deals with anger, he's building on this. And then he goes into this adultery in the heart. And then he goes into marriage. All right. So there's 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 some things that he's building on here. You know, we do have to watch our anger. If we have an anger problem, we'll take it out oftentimes on those people that we love. And then we might misunderstand what love is because we associate it with lust. We see people on television kissing. And maybe you say, well, why don't you kiss me like that? And we begin to equate love with lust. And I dare say most people don't even understand what love is. I remember my now son-in-law, who I'm very proud of, but I remember the day that he called me a few years ago, and I'd heard that he was going to call me and ask for my daughter's hand in marriage. Maybe some of you remember that. That is a commendable thing to do. And in truly, it would have been commendable to me to let him off easy. But that is not my nature. And so he called and he says, I'd like to have your permission to marry my do- your, uh, your daughter. And I said to him, 
Why do you want to marry my daughter? And this is the common reply. What is the common reply? Because I love her. Now, fathers, don't let them off easy. So I asked the question, how do you know you love her? And his response was, because I do. <laughs> and I said to him, I says, I want you before uh, I give permission, I want you to go and read 1 Corinthians 13. And I want you to come up with God's definition of love and then come back and tell me that you love her. You see, love is described by God's word. Amen to that. And what's happening today is we don't know what love is. I think it was at the Valentine's banquet that we talked about the Hebrew word for love, which I tried to pronounce. And Pastor Nathan was out there just chuckling as I tried to pronounce the Hebrew word through a Polish accent. And uh, it means it means a sacrificial love. It is a love of commitment. It is actually a love one way. It is not contingent upon the responses of others. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Aren't you glad for that? It wasn't because we were uh, right in his sight. It wasn't because we are good. By the way, God blesses our lives because of his grace and his mercy and his love. Don't ever lose sight of that. Lest you become proud in thinking that the good things that come your direction are because you're a goody two-shoes. In fact, as we read this Sermon on the Mount, we begin to discover how inept we all are. And as I get into this aspect of divorce and remarriage, let me encourage you, as many that are sitting here this morning have had a divorce or had a remarriage in their lives, that as we look at these things, truly, we wish some things were not in our past. And I'm telling you, every one of us has a past. Tonight, we'll even look at some of that in this aspect as we get into this the further. But thank the Lord, thank the Lord that God forgives. Amen to that. Some of us would wish that we had an eraser. Praise God for God's eraser, right? He forgives us. He puts our sins as far as the east as from the west, and he remembers them no more. And so as I bring this message this morning, understand that there are problems, there are things in our lives, but we do have a gracious God. And understand that salvation is not about how good you are. Salvation is about understanding that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Amen to that? And God sent His Son uh, for saviors. Getting into heaven... It's not about our anger. It's not about our lust. It's not about our divorce or our remarriage. It's not about an eye for an eye or whether we turn the other cheek. For the Bible says we are all unrighteous and need a Savior. All right. So as I bring this, I also understand that there is a, uh, a, good, uh, a good amount of differences of opinions about divorce and remarriage. 
All right. And so as we get into this, I want to take a, a systematic study on it and to present at least as best I can a, a more balanced approach on this. But yet, in reality, you'll have to come up with some of the answers to yourself. I will throw out some questions, especially tonight, and maybe tonight we might even have opportunity for you to ask some questions. It's interesting as you go through the Scriptures, God doesn't take one verse and make that a central of doctrine. He builds doctrine upon verses upon verses. That is systematic theology. You take these verses and you compare spiritual with spiritual things. And so I understanding that in preaching on morality today and marriage and those kinds of things can be dangerous. Let me ask you this question. Was it dangerous for John the Baptist to stand up and to say what was right and wrong to Philip the king? Indeed. Indeed. In fact, he lost his head over it. And some people, like Herodias and his, her mother and, and all, became very offended in those things. You know, if it's what God says, we need to accept what God says. And follow his word. So why don't we pray together as we get into this that God will help us. Father, I just pray that you'll just work in a very special way. Lord, we have seen such struggles in marriages and things that are taking place in marriages today. And even here at Westside Baptist Church, I pray that, Lord, that you will strengthen our marriages. Help our families, help our children to be raised in godly homes. And Lord, I pray that you'll help me to bring uh, thy word in a fashion that is uh, right and balanced according to the scriptures. And I realize that there are good theologians that will disagree with what I have to say. And Father, I just pray that you'll just let your spirit work in our hearts and that even through these scriptures we might sense and understand more of the principles of your word than what we maybe have an understanding of as we come into this service. And we'll praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, so problems in marriages. And last week we talked about real solutions. And we talked primarily about this aspect of pornography or really any type of addiction. And as we said, almost half the families in America are affected by pornography. And so we gave real solutions last week and we said, you've got to recognize the problems. Even in your marriages, we have to recognize what's going on and be sensitive to it. And then repent. If I let the sun go down upon my wrath, I give place to the devil. Repent of those things. Set aside our pride. Let's come up with real solutions in our families. Because this world needs to see the love of Christ in our lives. Starting with our love for Him. Then our love for our family. And our love for one another. The trouble is, there's too much selfish love that is going on in our families today, in our churches today, in our community. So we repent and then we replace. We replace. If there's ill feelings, if there's things that I recognize that I need to work on. My wife and I talked about this this morning on how we deal with those things that we need to work on. And I, I have one area in my, in my prayers. Usually every year I, I come up with something that I want to work on. And, and I put it down in my prayer uh, journals and I pray for it every day. And the thing is, I've kept some of those over the years. And, and some of them, I, I remember looking at this one this week. And in 2013, 
I made this commitment to begin to work on it. And 2016, I'm still working on it. Don't ever think that you shouldn't continue to work on whatever it is that you have to deal with. And that can be in your marriage. You ought to always continue to work on improving your marriage. Amen to that? Amen. Our Christian life, it's a progress. We are a work in progress. But often find I, I find that people don't have the character or the determination or the commitment. That word commitment is almost a lost word in our dictionary today. A commitment to make a marriage and a family and our relationship with others work. There's a commitment. And as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, He helps us in these things. So we replace it with just the opposite. And on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about this, the battle of our mind and how our flesh is pulling. And as we, we put in the things of this world and the devil, and as we watch even uh, things on television or we put things before our eyes, how the darkness creeps into our souls. And not replacing the good, but replacing in our soul that which is bringing darkness and despair and traumas and difficulties. But may God help us to put in to our lives. And I want to tell you something. We've got to gain ownership of this. How important it is to get a passion for God's Word. A passion for prayer. This Wednesday, we're having prayer meeting over at the property. We have an all-day prayer assigned. Interesting, as I look at our prayer list back there, to sign up for a half-hour increment. As of Thursday, I think it was, Cheryl, only half has been filled up. I wonder, do we take prayer as an important part of our lives? I want to encourage you. We have an all-day prayer meeting. The reason we have an all-day prayer meeting on Wednesday is because Sunday we start revival services. And I want to tell you, as the pastor of your church, I understand right now, not that this church has any particular problems, but there's times when our soul needs to be refreshed and encouraged again. And I believe today's a time for that. And I want to encourage you to be praying, God, send revival. And you know what the middle letter of revival is? What's the middle letter? I. Revival starts with me. God, would you speak to my heart? Would you revive me? Would you give me one thing that will help me on my journey in my walk with thee? I'm going to tell you something, folks. Let's spend that time in prayer on this Wednesday and every day, of course. But having a passion for prayer. Oh, we're going to have it out at the property and it might be a little cool in there. We might turn on some heat depending on whether we want hot prayers or cold prayers. Uh, But... uh, and, 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 and plus, we, we want you to see what's happened on the inside of the building because we're going to start covering it up with drywall. Praise God for that. You know, you need to see what's on the inside to appreciate the beauty on the outside because God works from the inside out. Amen? So we'll be meeting over there on Wednesday night and then praise And then help from above and the church. And these things as they come in and help us in our walk and in our our relationship with one another. In our relationship with the Lord. These things not only bring this light into our soul and strength. But let me tell you something. These things bring in strength into our marriage. 
If people would understand the benefits of these things, it is not a token. This, well, I better do this so I can have a better marriage. No, it's about growing your love and growing your passion for God. And as you grow your love and your passion for God, then you'll have a greater love and a passion for your spouse and your family and a heart for others. And so these things. And then we talked about resisting. I'm going to tell you something. There's going to be situations that come up. Maybe a strange woman will come your direction. You resist. Maybe you turn on the computer again and there's some illicit situation that comes up. You have to resist. You have to turn. And I'm telling you what. The Bible says flee youthful lust. Resist the devil and he'll what? But you give in to it. You give in to the flesh. Understand that darkness just comes into your soul. Resist or else you will relapse, relapse. And so these principles that we talked about last week, now bringing them into our marriage. As we talk about divorce and remarriage, let's look there at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 31 through 32. Again, interesting, God would bring this up on Valentine's, but it is the next section here on the Sermon on the Mount. And God knew all about that. And I believe in what's going to be said today will help us in this capacity. It has been said, verse 31, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writ of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her, that is divorce, committeth adultery. Wow. You say, Pastor, I didn't know that passage was in there. In the King James, there is 11 places where the word divorce is used. Now, there are other places in the King James that divorce is talked about. It's called putting away. It's the same word as divorce, putting away your wife. In other translations, there's 28 times uh, the word is translated divorce because it is the same Greek and Hebrew word. However, when you look at 28 times in the scriptures, you can get a fairly good understanding how God views divorce. But when you look at marriage, there's over three times as many verses that deal with marriage as there is divorce. And I believe the greatest uh, uh, defense against divorce is to understand God's role and understanding definition of marriage. And I dare say we have lost what his definition of marriage is. Marriage is to be blessed. You go right back to Genesis chapter 2 and where he creates the woman to be the helpmeet, taking her from the rib, and there the two shall become one. So we're going to look at the truth of marriage and the tolerance of divorce as the law teaches it. Then we're going to look at what the Pharisees believed, and then tonight we're going to look at what Jesus teaches. All right? So we're going to look at the foundation of this so that we get an Old Testament and a New Testament principle. Now, as we get in the truth of marriage, uh, Genesis 2, 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be, what? One flesh. The word cleave there, what did I say is the word cleave mean? Stick, glue, bonded together. 
In the deacons, uh, a while back, before we came up with our new uh, constitution and bylaws, we put in as our policy for marriage, recognizing that God, as he is revealed in his word, the Bible is the author of our faith, the definer of our practices, performance of weddings through Westside Baptist Church building use, pastoral participation, or any other church participation must follow God's definition of marriage in His Word and His instruction for those to be married. God's definition for marriage is clearly defined as a marriage before God between one man and one woman. Marriage is a covenant before God. God desires a man and a woman to be equally yoked together. Westside Baptists will not perform weddings for those who are not unequally yoked together. Any wedding ceremony connected with Westside, whether covenant or license, will not be performed apart from the truth and the instructions in God's word uh, and our established articles of faith. Further, our pastors will not perform marriages contrary to their biblical convictions. Truly, we want marriage to be honorable in the sight of God. Now, today we see a change in that. So, bottom line is that in marriage, understand that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that it is a covenant, it is a commitment together. Do we understand that? Now, as we've looked at this verse also, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers will God uh, will judge. Some people will say, well, if I sleep with a woman, am I considered married to her? Not according to the scriptures. And in fact, if we were to look at the, the if I could look at it, the relationship of in and out of relationships today and all, what, what happens is, is it's like this. You know, you, if you take a, a piece of tape and you do that to it, it's not going to stick very well, right? And as we use that illustration, as we run around talking about the bond that's supposed to be in marriage, as you go and do this outside of the bonds of marriage, pretty soon it loses the ability to bond. And that's why we've encouraged young people to stay pure in their relationships, not jumping in and out of relationships. Now, today, the mindset is let's live together before we get married. This is very common. You see it. You see it in 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 and in, in Hollywood. You see it in all over the situations. Uh, there are. Uh, various articles, in fact, even the Register Guard talked about that, how well it's working out for people. Let it say, uh, let me read you a couple articles. Marriage is becoming more like buying a car. People want a test drive before they sign on the dotted line. The reasons are varied. Some feel it's not the right time for marriage. Some think living together is the best insurance against divorce. Others claim economic reasons for cohabitation. Divorce, a study on premarital cohabitation conducted by the researchers from Yale, Columbia University, and the Institute and Resource Development at Westinghouse reveals that the divorce rate of women who cohabitate are nearly 80% higher than the rate of those who do not cohabitate. Somehow, young people have believed a lie. 
rather than God's word. Marriage is honorable. Let me read to you from the very conservative uh, science review from Berkeley. Listen what they say. Premarital cohabitation allows couples to experience a trial marriage before making the real commitment. Cohabitation is increasingly becoming a natural part of the courtship ritual, a transition from dating to marriage. Indeed, according to a recent talk I attended, two-thirds of Americans will cohabitate with a relationship partner, and one-half of marriages emerge from those cohabitations. Following common sense, it would seem that those who cohabitate before marriage would be more prepared uh, for and confident about marriage, having already lived together. This preparation and confidence should thus lead to lower divorce rates and those who cohabitating before marriage than those who did not cohabitate. Research has shown, however, now this is Berkeley, that in the case, common sense is wrong. Premarital cohabitation actually appears to lead to higher divorce rates in many Western countries. Why might this be? Berkeley asks. Do we have the answer right up on, on the screen? This is from the American College of Pediatrics. Contrary to the current perception of many adolescents and young adults who view cohabitation as a substitute for marriage or a stepping stone to a more secure marriage, study shows that cohabitating unions are more likely to dissolve than marriages that the marriage preceded by cohabitation are more likely to dissolve than marriages preceded by cohabitation. Cohabitation unions are more likely to involve infidelity and more likely to involve violence. Furthermore, children, whether born prior to, during, or after parental cohabitation, are at increasing risk for negative sequelae, whatever that word means, including premature births, school failure, lower education, more poverty during childhood, lower incomes as adults, more incarcerations and behavioral problems, single parenthood, medical neglect, and chronic health problems, both medical and psychiatric, more substance, alcohol, and tobacco abuse, and child abuse. Cohabitating women are also more likely to choose to end their child's life prior to birth. That is the American College Pediatrics. That is not a Christian organization. Do we hear what they say? Why don't they read that in our sex education classes? Why don't our politicians come back and say, if we really want to strengthen the family, why don't we go out there and teach the good things? One more article that I felt worthy to read here, and this is on the the acceptance of same-sex marriages today. This author brings out the idea that once marriage, once marriage was not legally based on complementary gender-based roles, gay, gay marriages seemed like a logical next step. Interesting. 
One of the reasons for the stunningly rapid increase in acceptance of same-sex marriage is because heterosexuals have completely changed their notion of what marriage is between a man and a woman. We now believe it is based on love, mutual sex attraction, equality, and a flexible division of labor. You see, we have redefined the home. We have redefined the family. And I told you what that attorney said 30 years ago. I'll be so glad when we have redefined the family. Can I encourage you? Teach your children, teach your grandchildren what God says in His Word. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Now let's quickly, as I've got such a short time, now you'll see why you might have to come back tonight and maybe a few other times to get the end of this message. But let's go back to Leviticus. And and I just want to bring this out. This is actually in regards to the priest. This is interesting. And and you begin to understand that, yes, a marriage is about commitment. A marriage is about, a you'll see in the Bible, a public uh, coming together of, of that, that, that there's going to be this public testimony of this union. It's not just people going off into the woods and, and, and trying to live together and those kinds of things. It's about coming and uh, making this commitment and, uh, uh, and uh, equally yoked together. And here in Leviticus gives a principle here about the priest. And he shall take a wife in her virginity. Talking about the priest there now. A widow or a divorced woman or a profane or an harlot. These shall he not take. But he shall take a virgin of his own people to wife. Talking about the Levitical priesthood are to take those who are in the Levitical tribes. Interesting. Now, this is an Old Testament. Old Testament. But we get some important principles out of here. Those that are are going to be handling God's principles of the Old Testament. Neither shall he profane his seed among his people, for I, the Lord, do sanctify him. A priest was supposed to marry another Levite. Interesting concept there. In Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 22, neither shall they take for their wives a widow nor her that is put away. That word put away is that word for divorce. This is again talking about the priest. But they shall take maidens, virgins, of the seed of the house of Israel, or a widow that had a priest before. You say, man, these sound like some really stringent requirements. Who's making these requirements? God is. Does God have the right to make the requirements Based on his word. You know, we come to fact and say, you know what? We believe that there's one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. And we are emphatic on that. We need to understand here the importance that God is putting on marriage. All right. But does he tolerate divorce? Okay. You know, the much is given, much is required. And, and, and I hope that I've laid some groundworks here to, to establish the right direction in our marriages so that we don't cohabitate together because we're bringing more weaknesses into our marriages and, and those kinds of things. And what if there has been a divorce? And what if there has been those things? Truly, tonight I'm going to deal with the aspect of God's grace and God's forgiveness. We're going to look at those things. But let's get, let's try to establish what is God's ideal? What is God's plans? You see? 
see what I'm saying? We need to come to that. Even though there's tragedies and even though we'd like to take an eraser out there, let's go back to how God looks at these things. And he gives here now, in fact, this is the part here in uh, Matthew chapter 5. He says uh, in verse 31, you've heard it said, let him give her a written of divorce. And in the Old Testament, there is this giving a writ of divorce. Even though we see in the priest how important that they were to be separated and how they were supposed to handle their relationships in, in their marriages and all. Of course, we understand in the Old Testament, many marriages were arranged and those kinds of things and, and, uh, and, and all. And there's some cultural things there that are very, very important that we can apply today. In fact, our Western culture has somewhat of a different view of marriage versus the Eastern culture of marriage. Would you agree? If you've ever gone over to some places, there's different mindsets out there. And so we need to stay in here into the Bible. Let me read this, and our time is already gone. When a man hath taken a wife... And marries her. And it becomes to pass that she find no favor in his eyes. Because he had found some uncleanness in her. And this is talking about the possibility that he thought he married a virgin and she's not a virgin. Then let him write her a bill of divorcement. Does he have to do that? God is not commanding here. But it's the idea that he is tolerating this because of the hardness of their hearts. Understand that. And, and really, the, the, the bill of divorcement is the idea of giving her a writ uh, to break the bonds and to separate there. And they would lo- no longer be considered married. It was actually a protection uh, towards the, the woman, if you can imagine this. Just like the, eye, the Bible says, an eye for an eye. Does it mean that you go, have to go out and pluck out somebody's eye because they destroyed your eyes? Does it mean that? No. But the idea is that an eye for an eye in the Old Testament there, and we're going to get to this in the Sermon on the Mount, is the idea that you don't take further penalties. Further penalties than what should be. And that's this is what's being brought out here. And, and give her in her hand and send her out of the house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. Okay, so we see this here. All right, so this divorcement actually is a breaking of the bonds. And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and give it into her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the later husband dies, uh, which took her to be his wife, listen to what it says here. Her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. That's an interesting thing. Idea. After that, she is defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. You say, what does that mean? Can I under, Can you understand? And, and, and to all of us today, as God is giving these guidelines, and understand that the guidelines here to Israel in the law in the de, uh, in the in the Pentateuch is the idea of the the governmental structure of Israel. But there are principles here. And what you're going to find, not only with what he says here, this defilement of the land, but the information that he gives to the priest is this. Marriage isn't just about you two. You ever get that idea? It's about the seed 
that you pass on. The heritage. And oftentimes people don't consider the children and the seed to come. It's interesting in uh, Hebrews chapter 7, it says that Levi paid tithes in Abraham's loins. Does the sins of the father affect the children? They can. Can a child overcome the sins of the parents? Absolutely. And if I could just leave you on this one note, because I've got so much more to give, you're going to have to come back tonight. Because you're going to have to find out what the New Testament says. So you just have to come back tonight, all right? Sorry about that. But can I just give you one concept? Throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, you see God's mercy and God's grace. Yes or no? When it talks about anger, when it talks about lust, when it talks about adultery, does God put a premium on any three of those? It's not a premium on any three of those. Yes, God doesn't want us to be angry. Yes, God doesn't want us to have lust in our hearts. Yes, God doesn't want divorce. But we have a God who forgives. And we praise the Lord for that. And throughout the stories of the Bible, you will see God coming to those situations and make sure we understand those situations. One that comes to my mind is found there in Genesis and reiterated in Matthew chapter 1. It's the life of Perez. How many know the life of Perez? Just real quickly, and, and time's gone and the ushers are screaming at me right now. One, one truth there. Judah committed incest with Tamar. And from that incest, Perez was born. Born out of wedlock. Born to his father-in-law. But as you read in Matthew chapter 1, you hear the rest of the story. He's in the line of Christ. God's forgiveness And Matthew wants to bring that out so that the Jews could understand God's forgiveness. And what Jesus is preaching about here is he's saying, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of Pharisees, you shall perish. The only way your and my righteousness can exceed the righteousness of anything is to have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And there is no sin Above another sin. If you begin to think that way, then you're wrong. And God will show you the error of your way. I thank the Lord for His mercy and grace. Amen. But can we help our young people to understand the truth of God's Word? To avoid the heartaches? Father, I pray that as we conclude our services. Oh, Lord, we didn't even get hardly started today. And there's so much more. Help our congregation to come back tonight to hear the rest of the story. Oh, Lord, I thank you. 
I thank you that you have been so merciful and gracious to me. And I'm so thankful for your mercy and grace to all of us. Because if it wasn't for your mercy and grace, not a one of us would enter into heaven. We have been forgiven six billion dollars of debt and more. God, help us to sense that forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that folks will come back tonight to hear the rest of the story. And if there's anyone here that has not experienced your forgiveness or maybe have not been able to forgive their past, Lord, I pray that you'll help them to be reminded of the story of Perez and your amazing grace to all of us. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing.